Coming to you, freshly returned from the Aurelia Comic Con, it's Geek Top 5! Yay! We'll get to that in just a little bit later in the show, but for now, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there are five cool things happening that if you're a geek, you have to know about. Number five on our list, uh, the past week we saw the Blu-ray, disc, digital, DVD, yada yada release of Logan. Why is that news? It's not really news, right? Well, the reason why it's news is because the movie's available and the off chance you didn't see it. When it first came out in theaters, we saw it and we said to you, you absolutely have to see it. Yeah. We didn't tell you why. We wanted to keep it spoiler free. So, spoilers for Logan, because we want to talk about it now. Logan, the reason we told you to see it is because it is probably hands down the best movie made in the superhero genre. Brilliant writing, brilliant acting. I still think The Dark Knight is better. It is arguably... Okay, well, I want to argue. The point being, it is also one of the most horrible movies I've ever seen, and I never want to watch it again. And the conflict with this, I think, says a lot about who we are as people and about movies in general. (laughs) And the world we are currently living in. Yeah, maybe. So, you know, we've already given the spoiler tag. Logan is a movie... Where a bunch of terrible things happen, and then everybody dies, and nothing is accomplished. Only, like, one person dies, and something is accomplished. At least two people die. And there's okay. three leads in the movie. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like, like, like three good guys die, and one survives. <laughs> <laughs> the one who survives also helps a lot of little kids, so it all works out. Yeah, maybe. But I just, like, Xavier, man. Logan Logan decides to wrap up the story of Professor Charles Xavier by saying that everything he ever wanted came to nothing. He wasn't able to accomplish any of his goals. It all turned against him. He screwed it all up. And then he's basically pointlessly killed for no reason. And that's the end of his arc. I mean, he isn't killed for no reason. He's, it's got like a... It's, it motivates... Well, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you're right. It supports them very well. But it's just heartbreaking. Like, yes. I came out of this movie traumatized. <laughs> It took yeah, me a couple I mean, of days to get over. Uh, okay, so so my my I I did really like the movie. I think it's great. I think the thing that stops it from being a a one of the all time great movies is that it doesn't to me have any sort of deeper message. The message is oh yeah, the, people die and and kids are the future, and that's like even that's kind of yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you know, that's yeah, and I'll, I'll and I'll double back on you in terms of finding what's our best movie in this genre. Yeah, I'll say The Dark Knight too because The Dark Knight is fun to watch. It's fun to watch. This wasn't fun to watch. This I spent the whole movie going, oh my god, <laughs> for what felt like hours. I, I think what it has going for it is it's got, I mean, some really cool action scenes. It's got so many cool action scenes. It's got so much cool character. It's got yeah. so much like. The stuff with with Wolverine and uh, Xavier is great. Their interaction, their dialogue. The little girl is great, even though she's mute for no reason. Laura from Laura, Laura, the X twenty three. She's she's like mute for most of the movie for no good reason. Uh, but once she do- does start talking, I think she's great. She gives a good performance. As I far think she as gave a great performance when she was mute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, but I just. Does that? I mean, again, it's because like I'm not going to buy this movie, right? So they they're not going to make their extra bit of money. So have they accomplished anything? Well, I mean, I would say one of the ways they're they're going to get extra money is with this noir edition of the movie, where right, you can watch it in black and white, yeah, to add because it's not depressing enough. <laughs> 
You know, like, I think that just adds the starkness to it. Like it, it was great in color, but I don't think the color added anything necessarily. And I think taking the color out actually adds to the story a little bit. That I see, didn't I just see the consider point. color integral to my vision because that's how the cones in my eyeballs work. Sure, it's like I'm not like that's like the movie's in color because I see in color. I don't know how to respond to that, you know. Black <laughs> just, and white I'm, is a version of color. And, and what, what I'm getting at is that I don't see, like, the artistic choice of removing the color having that much to do with anything. But obviously, that's just me. Because people love the idea of this movie being in black and white. Um, I don't think it needs to be any more stark. If it wasn't stark <laughs> enough for you, you got issues. Because this movie, oh, man... And really, that that whole uh, whole family on the farm dies. Yeah, just like everyone we see who has more than a few lines of dialogue dies. Pretty much anyone with any redeemable characteristics over the age of fourteen dies. I mean, okay, another sort of beef I have with the movie is to me it's important when you're doing an adaptation of these comic books, and maybe I'm biased because I have such a strong bond, especially with the X-Men comics, is that you should honor the source material. And and I understand this is, you know, going after Old Man Logan a little bit, but making it its own story. Yeah. But introducing the Reavers, they're, they're not like the Reavers in the comics, except for the fact that they have some cybernetic parts. Donald Pierce isn't like he is in the comics at all. Um... They, so it's like, like so why, a little bit. Yeah, so why call them the Reavers if you're not yeah. going to make them the Reavers? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a dark, stark movie. If you're into that, yeah. then like, this is the movie for you, and you should go pick it up. Grab a bottle of whiskey, uh, sit back, and, and try and enjoy the movie. Yeah, there you go. And then when you're done, you know, we can you spend the money on therapy. <laughs> Moving right along to our number four. Uh, speaking of dark. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but less dark because it's kind of comedic. I don't. I don't understand what they're doing with this, and that's part of the news. All right, get, hit me with your yeah. With so your we've thoughts. got the the confirmation that they're going ahead with the dark universe as a new cinematic universe. This is the one for classic movie monsters. Yeah, I guess they couldn't call it the Universal Monster Universe, uh, which is what this is. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit before when it was still sort of a half-baked idea. Not that it's not now. Um, but we've got that Tom Cruise versus The Mummy coming out in a week. I mean, and I don't know about you. When I think of The Mummy, I picture, like, a sexy Egyptian lady, right? I... No, of course not. But, <laughs> but we'll leave that. Um, but this is going to be a kickoff for a big, like the Avengers of movie monsters. I will say, in in the defense of having the the sexy mummy that they have in in this, is if they're going to make this like an Avengerized franchise, using the the characters they've already established, they got to inject some women in there somehow. Somehow, I don't know that the character who's supposed to be permanently wrapped up in bandages is the one to go with, but okay, it's fine. Um, and also, wasn't this universe supposed to start with Dracula uh, untold or yeah. reborn or whatever? And that movie was crap. Yeah, so I think they were like, well, we'll start with another one. Although I doubt that, that the door has firmly been shut. Oh, on, yeah, that, on that, that movie being... ended on, like, a essentially after the credits, basically Nick Fury like showed up to ask Dracula to, like, fight again in the modern era. Right. That's essentially how that movie ended. It's a pretty, it's a pretty open ending. You can, you can tie it into this in a million different ways. Without it invalidating yeah. anything that they had set up in that movie. But they've got a whole bunch lined up. We've got a whole bunch of casts lined up for these movies, right? Yeah, an interesting uh, 
group. I mean, Russell Crowe's going to be in this one. He's playing Dr. Jekyll, so I guess he's going to be the Nick Fury of it all, tying the movies together a little bit. They also cast uh, Javier Bardem as Frankenstein's monster, and Johnny Depp, who apparently hasn't seen a franchise he hasn't want to be a part of, he'll be playing the Invisible Man. <laughs> Which, I mean, really? You cast someone from the Invisible Man? There's some cost savings right there. I'm not a director. I'm sure he's going to be covered in, like, green and have, you know, dots all over himself so he can... Yeah, he'll appear as, like, a tuxedo with a hat. I can see the gag already. Um, But, I mean, so that's all been announced. That's news. But I feel like the bigger news story is, does anybody care about these characters? Especially about them all teaming up to fight whatever their version of Thanos is. Fighting what? Yeah, are they going to fight Abbott and Costello? Yeah, it's like like with the, the Avengers movie, there are specific things that these characters can get together to fight. There are reasons for them to get together. And and I'm sure they've thought of a good reason to bring all these monsters and monster fighters together, but I can't imagine what it is. And we've got, like, we're not low on imagination up here. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, here are some of the, the movies that they've teased they're going to be redoing. we got Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Invisible Man, Wolfman, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. They haven't teased any Dracula stuff, but I'm sure that's coming. Yeah, he's Dracula. Uh, the next movie that they're doing, oddly, is Bride of Frankenstein. Before regular Frankenstein. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. See, that's it. Do. I don't think it will be. <laughs> Nothing about this sounds interesting to me. These aren't characters. This isn't a team of superheroes. Right. These are all monster movies. Their purpose is to lurch out of a castle or a swamp and scare someone, and then someone heroically rescues them and defeats the monster with a crucifix or a garlic or a what have you. <laughs> a garlic? <laughs> One garlic. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about this announcement, though, was this this thing they edited together using clips from the old movies, and it made me more interested in those movies than anything I'd ever seen. They're just so beautiful. Again, in this beautiful black and white. No, nah, right, right. that doesn't mean anything to you, but okay. they're beautiful shots. And I know the rest of the movie probably won't hold up to the shots that you see when they're cut together in this beautiful montage. But, man, it made me the, the, kind of excited to see those. Well, then it's working, I guess. That's that hype machine trying to get these people interested in these monsters. It, It's a stretch. I know they want to get in on that cinematic universe money, but I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I'm yeah. trying to put the best face I can on it. I guess it's all going to depend on how well this Mummy movie yeah. is received. Well, I mean, the Dracula movie was supposed to do it, and it blew it. Now they're trying it again. Yeah. We'll see. This is the start of, quote, a new world of gods and monsters. Uh, the Mummy's out on June 8th, so we'll, uh, we'll see if it's super compelling. Number three on our list is super compelling. <laughs> We've talked about this earlier in an earlier episode about how they announced this release date for the Venom movie. The Venom movie in shock because a Venom movie? Yeah. Um, and like, But we said, how could they do it? Who would they cast in it? And and it's amazing how just saying the name of the person they've cast is enough to allay a lot of my fears. I don't know about yours. Tom Hardy. Is going to be Eddie Brock. Is going to be Venom. Bane himself. Max himself. Yeah, back in a super villain role. Shinzon himself. Well, well that's... Okay. We try to forget that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, 
I mean, some people we talked to about this felt that this was just him going back to the well. But I don't see it that way. Like, it's a good well. Yeah, it is a good well. He's good at this job. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like he's going to be rehashing Bane at all just because he's playing another supervillain. Venom is so different from Bane. Yeah. And really, it's also it's playing Eddie Brock. Yeah. Right? And there's... Like there's a, there's a lot of duality in that character. It's very literally, it's a symbiotic relationship between this not great guy and this horrible alien monster thing. Yeah, and who you know, in some of his early appearances, eats brains and things like that. And now, and then he slowly became an anti-hero. He and Spider-Man had sort of a truce, and he went to another city to help protect that city with a little bit more of an edge than Spider-Man would yeah. normally be cool with. We covered this just a couple episodes ago. For for more information about Venom, see earlier episodes of Geek Top Five. Editor's note. Um, <laughs> So we, what we got here for the, this set of news, we got the Venom news, we got the director. It's the same guy who directed Zombieland, yeah, which is interesting. Pretty good. Right? He's got some horror under his belt and sort of very dark comedy. Yeah. Which isn't what this movie is really billed as, but I could see it fitting in. I, I'm excited that they've said uh, it might be rated R. I think that gives uh, Tom Hardy some room to stretch with yeah. it. Although, you know, I don't want to go down uh, a... Uh, road where every superhero movie has to be rated R. Well, ever, since Deadpool and Logan, they will be for a while. Yeah. So we can expect that. Um, the other bit that we got with this is that, like we were saying, like, how can you do a Venom movie without Spider-Man? And what they're doing, this took me a while to wrap my head around. So there's going to be Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Venom isn't a part of that. Venom is going to be a part of Sony's Marvel's Cinematic Universe. Yeah, let's just call it the Spideyverse. Okay, but not with Spider-Man. Well, not with Spider-Man. That's so the ironic part. it's the Venom-verse? No, no, it's the Spidey-verse. But there's no Spider-Man in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah! <laughs> but, so they're going to have their own cinematic universe, which doesn't overlap with the actual cinematic universe. Right. Uh, but in that vein, they've announced what the, the second movie in this, what I am going to be calling the Spidey-verse, is... I, please, I can't, I can't do... We, it's Spideyverse. It sounds adorable. No, no. There's no Spider-Man in it. Uh, but please continue. Okay. So it's going to be called, I think, yeah, Silver and Black. And it's going to be, I guess, a buddy movie with Silver Sable and Black Cat. Black Cat is a, 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 a love interest for Spider-Man. She's a, a cat burglar. I don't think she really had any powers to begin with. And then in the 90s, uh, she made a deal with Kingpin where she got bad luck powers where like if people tried to attack or anything they'd have bad luck and slip and fall so she's like the opposite of scarlet witch yeah okay except she can't direct it it just happens it just happens okay and uh, then there's silver sable who is not a very well-known character she had her own series for a little while silver sable in the wild pack she's this um this mercenary commander and she wears all white and she has white hair so she's so she's silver there you go. Yeah. So, Spider-Man villain, a Spider-Man love interest, and a Spider-Man mercenary in the Spideyverse without Spider-Man by Sony. Yeah. This just reeks. Like, you know there's a boardroom somewhere where this is the best compromise they could come to, and nobody was happy. Well, we'll see. I mean, I think they're trying to follow Fox's lead and just generate as much content out of the copyrights <laughs> they have from the Marvel right. characters I mean, and as be, I can. Like, I'm super excited about Venom. Like, I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to be a bad set of movies. It could be really cool. Yeah. But not being able to tie it in to the rest of the Marvel properties is just such a... like The content suffers so much because of this boardroom BS. What I would like to see is, is that they if they don't do a movie, an Avengers-esque movie, where the heroes have to all team up together... 
I'd, I'd like to see something where they just sort of show up in each other's movies occasionally or they're references to each other, but they don't necessarily need them all to team up. I think if they just keep it subtle, that's going to do them a world of good as opposed to forcing a team up. With one exception, okay. Spider-Man has to fight Venom and then team up with Venom. He has to. That's the best part. And, it ha- and, and I'm going to go out and say it almost absolutely has to be against Carnage. Right. I mean, that's that's, what, that's as, that story. As soon as as this was announced, people started speculating as to who would play Carnage, and I hope they don't do Carnage in the first movie. I think you need to do a proper job oh, yeah, establishing that's... Venom before you introduce Carnage. Establish Venom, get some stuff resolved, then bring Spider Man in, then bring Carnage in. That's what we want to see. Yeah, I, I although I have to admit, I, if if my options are Spider Man gets to be part of the Marvel universe or the Spideyverse. I'd rather see him in the Marvel version. Well, yes, but I'd rather see them all in the Marvel version. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Okay, so do you want to give a, like a brief rundown on, on who Carnage is for our dear listeners? So, we talked about Venom last time. He's the alien symbiote. He doesn't quite have a heart of gold, but he became an anti-hero. Carnage is not. Carnage is Venom, but still a bad guy. And, like, the, the host he's possessing is a psychopath. Like, yeah. He's, what's his name? Cletus Cassidy. Cletus Cassidy. That's it. He actually, he looks a lot like the actor who plays Rorschach. In the Watchmen movie, actually. Yeah. Which, maybe, you know, <laughs> putting that out there. I would be good. Uh, but yeah, so he has all of Venom's powers, but he's an evil lunatic. Very yeah. 90s. Like, he's just off the wall. Yeah, he has, like, no redeeming characteristics at all. He's just crazy and likes to murder. There's no way to make him an anti-hero. He is just yeah. anti So that's a, that puts Venom in a great place, because he's got Carnage on one side of him and Spider-Man on the other, and it's like, you know, who am I going to be? Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, those, these people need to be together in this movie. It's just, it can't, it's, it's, I'm surprised how passionate I am about it. I'm this. surprised too. Like, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm borderline <laughs> indifferent compared to you. Ah, oh, just, it just, that's, I love that storyline. I love those characters. I love the symbiotes. That's what has to happen in these movies. It's way too early to judge. We'll see. But I, I just, I feel offended by the fact that these studios, these muckety mucks, have to be interfering with my content. Let's move on. Otherwise, I'll just sit here festering. (laughs) I'm leaving the world of comic books for space. The final frontier. Oh, boy. These are the voyages of the starship Orville. Yep, the USS Orville. (laughs) (laughs) We saw the trailer for Seth MacFarlane's Orville, which I guess I had heard about in the back of my head and sort of wasn't paying that much attention to. I feel like they kept a good job sort of keeping it under wraps until they they had something to really show it off. Yeah. And great reveal. Well, I mean, let's get the details out of the way first. So it's going to star Seth MacFarlane. He's a sort of, this is his last chance to be a captain. They just happen to have too many ships and not enough captains, so he's getting another shot to be a captain. Unfortunately, he gets paired with his ex-wife, who's going to be his second-in-command, uh, they they fly around space. They solve problems. Very Star Trekky, and they crack very Seth MacFarlane sense of humor. Yes, uh, there's a lot of that, like you know, suddenly off camera for a moment kind of jokes. Yeah, uh, when he's you know, with the villains giving his evil monologue, and Seth MacFarlane interrupts him to tell him he's not centered on the view screen properly. Yeah. It's a lot of that. It's Family Guy in space and live action and live action. You're right. That's an important distinction. It's live action, and man, does it look great. Um, it, or rather, it looks very... On the nose? It's, it looks very on the nose. On the it, forehead ridge, if you will. <laughs> it looks like a 90s Star Trek set. Like yeah. It, it look, like if, they, if someone cut together that trailer with a trailer for a Next Generation episode, you would not bat an eye. 
I I love the set. That's probably my favorite thing about it. It looks it brings me back to Star Trek: The Next Generation so well with the the useless uh, sort of like handholds and stuff that are behind the commanders. Yeah, the way it's chairs. lit, the way yeah. they they're just standing around like in these weird places for no reason. The design of the ships and the the sound effects are identical. They're from yeah. the same library. It, uh, yeah, I guess that's homage. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, Seth MacFarlane is a huge Star Trek fan, so so this, to me, that's good news. It, it looks like the closest thing to sort of 90s Star Trek we're going to get. I don't think any future Star Trek TV show or series is going to go back to that style of bridge. So it's like a nice bit of nostalgia for us sort of old school fans. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the trailer a little bit. I, I look, I, I'm... Desperate to like this show. I, and all I want in life is to like this show. <laughs> okay. And the trailer, did it, it left something to be desired for me. Like, like I, I think that, that joke you talked about with the, the person not being centered on the view screen, that was the only joke that really landed for me. The rest of the jokes, I felt, were just not quite there. I feel like it's a lot like, I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole it as Family Guy jokes, but that's what it is. It's the, that family kind of humor where it's almost like they're tr- they're not trying to make it dry and awkward, like at the office kind of thing. But it's not quite a straight, you know, an on the nose joke. Like it's just it, things are really it make you want to cringe a little when he's having the conversation with the guy. He's, he's like, "Oh yeah, I have to go to the bathroom three times a night." Yeah, ha, 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 ha. yeah. It, that's the problem. It's like it's not. Like, yeah, I, I'm like, embarrassed for that guy. Yeah, which is what he's trying to do, but it's not. So, so the thing that sets a lot of the cartoons, the Seth MacFarlane cartoons, apart from other stuff, is how edgy they are. I mean, they don't go to South Park levels, but they make some really dark, edgy jokes. And these, a lot of these jokes are no, like... No, not edgy. You know, this is, family matters this, here. This is prime time. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's nothing politically challenging or risque about any of this. And, and I think, you know, as much as I want it to be old school Star Trek, if it's going to have a Seth MacFarlane sense of humor to it... He's got to go all the way, and mm. I just am not seeing that. You're, you're worried he's being handcuffed by the rules of the Federation, I, I, or what I, is it? Maybe. It's it's the interstellar fleet in this one. Something they have a different, like yeah. <laughs> but it's like they can't violate the Prime Directive and you know show any nudity or anything. Like it's, right? Yeah. So it's. Yeah. I mean, another thing that is going for it is the pilot is directed by John Favreau, who did Iron Man and Jungle Book, and he's he's an amazing director. So so I'm sure that's going to help. The pilot sets the tone for the show. My other hope is that. You know, the pilot is usually the one of the weaker episodes in any series. And maybe all we've seen is stuff from the pilot, and maybe it'll only probably. get better from there. That's my hope. Yeah. I, I mean, well, like any show, it'll probably, I mean, like Next Generation, it might take a couple years, assuming it gets that long, to settle in. I guess the question is, is it going to be more Star Trek than Family Guy, or more Family Guy than Star Trek? Um, I guess they've got to find that balance. Yeah. yeah, that's not an easy balance. Star Trek... Isn't is rarely funny. Like they have some funny episodes and occasionally some clever dialogue, but you, you never really laughed out loud at Next Generation. And if you did, it was because you were so surprised that there was a joke in it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this is a show that wants to do all that Star Trek stuff and make you laugh out loud. That's that's challenging. Mm-hmm. So I, look, I, I really like. I said I am desperate for this show to be good. Uh, so I'm going to give it a chance. I will probably watch every single episode that airs, but uh, I, I am a little trepidatious at the moment. All right. Well, let's move on, uh, mostly because I – just for the one joke is I like the fact that we're going to be moving on from Star Trek to Star Trek. <laughs> 
Because, yeah, we saw the trailer for Orville, but we finally saw a trailer, sort of two trailers, it was a bit of a weird release, but trailer for Star Trek Discovery. Yes. And you know what? It looks like I was wrong. There might actually be a television show happening here. Yeah, you were getting pretty skeptical there for a while. Yeah, maybe just in self-defense, you know? So, let's just go over the basics again. It's a new Star Trek series. It's going to be set ten years before the Kirk and Spock era. And we're talking, like, the original William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy Star Trek, and not the Chris Pine, J.J. Abrams movies. So, it's a prequel, but it's after Enterprise. Yes. It's going to star Sinequa Martin Green as the somewhat confusingly named Michael Berman. I wanted to double-check with you with that. That is her name. It's not Michelle. It's not... As far as I get, it's spelled Michael. I don't know how else to to pronounce that. And we we don't get a ton of info in it. We we don't even see the Starship Discovery in the trailer. Yeah, we see Michelle Yeoh's ship, right? The the Shenzo. Yeah. Shenzo? Shenzhou? Shenzhou? Something like that. Let's not even try. Let's yeah. uh, um, we see her, we see that she's sort of a mentor figure to Commander Burnham. Just go with Commander Burnham. Yeah. Um, Number and, one. Which yeah. Which is apparently what they were going to call her. Um, and it seems like she's getting, uh, the, the trailer seems to suggest that Burnham is supposed to be getting her own command, but we know the Discovery is commanded by another captain, by, by Jason Isaacs. Yeah. So we're not sure what the story is there, but we know that Burnham's like you know, trying to become a commanding figure is going to be part of it. It's gonna, that's going to be her character development. I mean, presumably something happens to Michelle Yeoh's ship, and and it it derails her promotion plans. Yeah. So it, it, there's something big and dramatic that's happening. Right. We don't know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It probably involves the Klingons. It, we see Klingons, and we see Sarek narrating very dramatically that there's something going on out there at the edge of space. Right. So so let's let's now that we've got the details out. I mean, we know it's going to be premiering sometime this fall. Those are the yeah, main, I mean, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. So those are the basic details. Let's get in some of our thoughts on this uh, on what we see in the trailer. Yeah, um, looks a lot like JJ Trek. I was yeah. surprised they went out of their way to point out that it doesn't take place in the Kelvin timeline. But we have like the glass window instead of the view screen. We have like the like it's it's always dark and it looks like the bridge of the Battlestar Galactica for some reason. Yeah, if there's there's uh, lens flares uh, on every shot. Yeah, it um, and like the and the, the the look of the Klingons like the same way the look of the Romulans changed. They did the same. They, the Klingons look a lot more like JJ Klingons than they look like Klingons Klingons. Like yeah, they look kind of more reptilian than they've ever looked. Yeah, and, that's a good way to put it. They've got different ridges, yeah. but also wrinkles. I don't know, it's, it's very different, which isn't necessarily bad. I like the JJ Trek movies, it's generally. It's just like, if you're going to make a point of setting it in the Prime universe, the original universe... Give us real Klingons. Like, give yeah. us... Either give them no ridges, like the original series Klingons, or give them big ridges, like Worf and... and but, it's not, but it's not just makeup. It's the no. whole aesthetic of the show. Uh, it, like, it seems very, like, HBO Star Trek. Like, it's, it's, very, it's very dark. Literally, as well as figuratively. They're in the dark a yeah. lot. And they're just, like, one of the lines, like, the alien... Like, My species was designed for a single purpose, to sense the approach of death. I feel it now. Yeah, like, that's really Doug Jones's character. And yeah, really, that was that was a rough line. Uh, Woof. Yeah, <laughs> was not feeling that. No, uh, but I mean another thing that I'm I'm sort of again trepidation. I don't, I I feel like I'm being like a real negative Nelly this episode. We I feel like we've switched roles a little bit here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. 
number one, Michael Burnham, is uh, there's an implication that she is connected with the Vulcans, and Sarek in particular. Right. He tells her, like, she'll never master Vulcan because her tongue is too human. Now, I thought I had read that uh, she's a human who was raised by Vulcans, but apparently that hasn't been confirmed anywhere. So maybe she's part Vulcan. Maybe she's another of Sarek's kids, which would seem like a really weird thing for them never to have mentioned. But it's it's already one of those, like, we've seen the trouble between Vulcans and humans yeah, I for mean, 50 years. <laughs> most I, of, of uh, Enterprise was about that, yeah. wasn't it? And most of Spock's arc yeah. in the original series and over the course of the movies. Like it, I mean, okay, like that's a good way to dock it with Star Trek, I guess. But it's like, couldn't what? we have seen something a little different? Yeah, like, like I don't know anything. You know, we've seen the there, di- there are some other species. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the Klingons look cool. We see them. Oh, it looks they like, look. I mean, the yeah. I, sure, right. I, I take that back. The the stuff with the Klingons looks cool. Sure. It looks like there's a funeral happening. They do the Klingons sort of yell into the sky that they do the Warden Stovokor that a warrior is coming, that whole that's, shtick. That's it exactly. Right. You're talking like you don't want people to know you well, know exactly what that is. But that's okay. exactly what that is. I'm to cover my tracks a little here. Uh, Said the host of Geek Top 5. <laughs> So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see what happens with it. And again, this might just be pilot syndrome. Maybe we're just seeing stuff from the first episode. And it'll... Oh, it's, yeah, it's not even finished. Like, yeah. We can't judge the whole show based on this. It's just that after so many troubles behind the scenes, finally seeing something, like, we want to lap it all up. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 there's, a lot of, there's more questions than answers. You know, the, the, like when, like the, when, the good, when the first Force Awakens trailer came out, we were super excited. The Star Wars was Millennium Falcon. Star Wars is back. I don't feel like Star Trek is back yet. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah. And that's not what they want. They want me to be sold on it, and I'm not sold yet. But, you know, we are the target audience. I'm sure we will watch every episode of this, whether we like it or not. I mean, it's a... Well, assuming we, you know, figure out how to get it. Well, yeah. yeah this... It'll be on... It'll be on the Space Channel here. Space Channel in Canada. You're right. And then eventually on Crave TV. So we've got avenues to get it. So we'll see. I, like... I have to say, Enterprise didn't make me very excited. No. Uh, and then I watched a few episodes, and it's like a, a season of that was like a 22-episode commitment. But that was a lot for me to buy into, and I sort of fell off the rails with it. With this, you know, even if I don't love it, I think I can sit through 10 or 13 episodes and, and just absorb it as a, a whole. But if but you have to watch all the episodes or you won't be allowed to judge it. You won't have a full valid opinion. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I don't have a full valid opinion of Enterprise. <laughs> I can, I can uh, fully agree with that. All right. Well, we will have to wait to see and discover what else Star Trek Discovery has in store. But for now, the big news is that yeah, it looks like they're actually going to be able to make it into a television show, which sets my mind at ease. In any case, that was the news this week. Um, Geek Talk 5 will be right back. Uh, we got to spend the weekend at Aurelia Comic Con and talk to a bunch of cool people. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We'll have it for you in just a moment. All right, uh, we're here for the second half of this episode of Geek Top 5, and we are at the Aurelia Comic Con. The first inaugural Aurelia Comic Con. Yes, and uh, we, it's filled with 
cosplayers and with some uh, amazing comic book creators. We're going to see how many interviews we can get and, and give you a sense of what it's like here at uh, here up in Aurelia. <laughs> it's probably not the usual for Aurelia, um, but cons in general. Let's, let's take a look. Let's see what we can find. Okay. All right, we're here at Aurelia Comic-Con, and we have the amazing Fabian Nicieza here, co-creator of Deadpool, amongst many other things. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. You were almost there with the last name. Almost. It could have been worse. I'll let you go. I'm going to let you slide on it, because it wasn't that bad. Um, there's no H in there, though, just so you notice. Okay. It's not too hard to tell, because you can't, you can't tell at home right now, because this is a tape. And just so you understand, that means you're only hearing the audio and there's no visual involved, okay? Um, there's a big display behind me that has my name written on it, huge letters, and I know for a fact there's no H in there, okay? <laughs> so anyway, how's it going, guys? Good, great. Thank you for being on the show. We were just wondering, you're, you were the first writer of the New Warriors comic book. I was. And uh, that's becoming a TV show now. I have heard. So we were wondering if you could give us your top five favorite New Warriors. My top five favorite new warriors are probably Speedball, Nova, Namorita, Night Thrasher, Firestar, and Marvel Boy. That's six, and that would be the first six original characters from the book. So you're asking me basically to excise one of the original guys out of the group. That would be such a fascinating story for us. Um, it would be a real. You know what? To tell you the truth, I would probably excise Namorita out of the top five, okay. only because. She was a derivative character originally, and she was a, a more of a challenge, and she had another title she was appearing in, which made it a little bit uh, of a challenge to, to do things with her in the New Warriors title. Not that I don't like the character, right. but it, it, it made her a little more of a challenge. I was a lot freer with the other characters, so it still would be top six, though. Right. It still would be. So they're, they're like some of the first characters you worked on on an ongoing for Marvel. Do you feel like a special connection with them? I do. It's the first, it's the first mainstream monthly superhero book I wrote. I wrote Cyforce for 16 issues for Marvel, which was a New Warriors book, which also was teen characters as well, just not in the Marvel Universe and not with tights on or spandex or anything like that. Um, I'm always going to have a really deep emotional connection to the book because in many ways it really helped make my career because it was the title that let, let readers and um, comic store owners and editors at Marvel know that I can write some pretty good comics set in the Marvel Universe and, and, and sell them too because uh, New Warriors uh, had very diminished expectations when it originally was launching and it exceeded those expectations dramatically uh, not the least of which is the result of the, the guy sitting to my right today which once again you at home can't see okay I just want you to understand that this is audio only don't look to your right okay um, Mark Bagley who's sitting here with me and we did New Warriors for the first two years together and, and in many ways we feel that it really helped make our careers because because it 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 brought us to another level within the company and in the in the comic book specialty stores at the time. So that really helped. I wanted to ask. I don't know. I think it's a quick answer for the new show. Are they getting? Have they gotten in touch with you guys at all to sort of get your take? Uh, I I can't speak for anyone else, but I have been in contact with the showrunner uh, before the show even got picked up. Mostly just to touch base and chat and say hi and introduce ourselves. Uh, he's a very accomplished sitcom, or, or not even a sitcom. He's a very accomplished uh, com comedy writer in the half-hour format in Hollywood. He's worked on really good shows like Scrubs and Enlisted. Um, it, 
it's not the approach or tone that I would have preferred for the show. That doesn't mean that I don't hope that it's as good a show as it can be. Um, the guy doing it is really, really talented and, and a good guy, so I, I really hope that he, he is able to navigate the challenge of doing a, a reality-based docu-comedy like Office was or something like that with trying to find a way to merge the important themes of, of, that the New Warriors comic originally had into the mix. Um, it's only a couple characters from the original team in it, so I, I don't feel as emotionally invested in the TV show, but that doesn't mean I, I hope it doesn't do well. I hope it does really, really well. That's all. So a tentative thumbs up from the original creator. Yeah, I can't give something a thumbs up that I haven't seen yet, you know? Right. Let me watch it, and then I'll tell you whether, whether I like it or not. And like with all television shows, often the tenth episode has really evolved and is is different and better than what the first two episodes are because as a writer you're finding your way around the voices of the actors directors are understanding which actors work better with each other so you start structuring scenes that take advantage of different dynamics within the group that you have so look at any successful TV show and you can watch its evolution as it went along because the writers the writers began to understand the strengths that they had to play with you know so so even I don't even judge a show by the first episode or two I usually try to give a show that I'm interested in a few episodes to really give it a chance to get its sea legs going you know that's perfectly fair. It is perfectly fair. <laughs> I am a perfectly fair guy. And, and we have that committed to the record. There that's, you that's go. All, there. all right. Thanks wrap it up. Good. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you Geek Top 5, we'll be right back. We are still at the Aurelia Comic Con, and now we're with Danny Zabal. <laughs> and uh, he is the, the creator of Life, Death, and Sorcery. What can you tell us about it? Hey, hey guys. Uh, Life, Death, and Sorcery is like a fantasy adventure, sort of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Final Fantasy a little bit. It's about um, three uh, sisters that run away from home, they go warp to another world, and then they have to learn sorcery to find their way back to Earth. So it's like magic and melodrama. Great. That's really cool. So uh, do you want, what sort of uh, top five list can you give us today? Uh, top five list? <laughs> um, top five movies that I wish I could just rewatch on VHS just because that's how I remember them and that was how I enjoyed them. Okay, movie number one, 1989, Batman. That just lives on VHS for me. I don't know why. We've got the car here. I so know, we've got the car and I feel like I want to steal it and just like go... <laughs> And drive around town and just cause trouble, you know? <laughs> Shouldn't you be so stopping trouble if you're Batman? Or yeah, no, but don't, isn't it always the worst of the movies when the, like, bad guy gets control of the Batmobile? It's like your inner child's like, that's not right! <laughs> uh, I guess on that list, too, would be uh, Roger Rabbit. I don't know why, but, like, I had that, I wore out that VHS, like, nobody's business. I had this really horrible B horror movie when I was a kid called The Bees. This is about bees. Like, I mean, that much I gathered, but I don't it, know the movie. Is it the Jerry Seinfeld bee movie? No, it's just like, no, it's just like bees, like bees terrorizing a like small community. Anyway. So like this, birds, but smaller. Yeah, this movie um, bent and warped my mind in ways that I can't even properly explain. Also, uh, Transformers, the movie. Uh, very favorite I, if, to me, that is just, like, intrinsically a VHS movie. That's that's one of those things that, like, yeah, it's formative of my childhood, but I wept. Like, yeah. that, that, like that's when I grew up, yeah. you know? Oh, my God. When, when Optimus Prime 
beefs it at the end of the first act. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I remember I was at, I was I saw that at my birthday party. Oh. And I, at the end I, of Innocence. Yeah, exactly. And I turned to my mom and I was like, "What happened?" And my mom's like, "The he's 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 dead now. Just don't talk during the movie." And I was like, "What?" I couldn't like I couldn't process it. And like there's a kid in the movie also named Daniel and he's like crying and I was crying. It was very emotional. It was terrible. It was awful. Yeah, it tr- truly was the end of innocence. Uh, but um, I would have to say that the uh, the ultimate VHS movie is uh, this really terrible another B movie. It's awful. It's called Doctor Gore. It's so bad. It's not even finished. The guy who made it didn't have enough money to finish the movie, so it doesn't make sense. And like special effects are terrible, and it's like pretty much unwatchable. But somehow it was one of those like rentals. Remember back in the day, you'd like rent a movie and then inexplicably forget to return it. And then the video store would shut down. <laughs> and then you're just like, well, I guess I just got this copy of UHF and Dr. Gore forever now. That's oddly specific, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, it was like years past and I found it in my trunk and I was like, huh. And then I like popped it in and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. But it's like so bad that I just love it and I bought it on DVD. And, like, I own it, and it's just, like, Dr. Gore for life. But hands down, I'll give you guys, like, a case of beer and, like, a 100 bucks. If you can make it A to Z through that movie without just going, like, I can't do this. I can't. Like, life's too short. It's so awful. Wow. All right. Wow. A lot of that, I notice, it tends to revolve around the gore, the horror, that sort of thing. Does that come through in Life, Death, and Sorcery? Actually, not at all. Life, Death, and Sorcery is straight up just, like, adventure and just, like, humor and magic. And, like, that's all the things that I like like about a good, like, long, epic fantasy. You know what I mean? Uh, Just, like, characters and, like, being on the road and, you know, like, you know, there's, like, a... There's very much a kind of, like camping vibe to it when the sisters like really get into the full adventure like I love that stuff all my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings are when they're just like around the campfire just hanging out like that to me is just like is where it's at you know there's maybe a little bit of like some horrific demonic stuff in there but just a pinch of yeah yeah. but you know I just I don't want to I don't want to scare the the audience you know what I mean with like the stuff that's actually going on in my head you know that's fair. The personal filter. We know a lot about that. Yeah. I've but, heard I need one. Well, it's, it's important. I mean, don't... I mean, hey, yeah. be you. Be the best you you can possibly be. But, you know, that is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just like if you're trying to sell books to kids, don't... Maybe don't... Right. I hear you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you. Before we go, we're going to put some of this up. If people want to take a look at this, see your stuff, see the comic, where can they find you? Um, they can find me on Instagram. That's probably the best spot. So, uh, at Danny Zab, D-A-N-N-Y-Z-A-B. I'm easy to find. I post uh, pretty much every day, almost every day. It's original works and various brain farts and stuff like that. Fair enough. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the con. Yeah. Geek Top 5, we'll be right back. Okay, so uh, while we were walking the con floor, we ran into Star-Lord himself. Who? Star-Lord. How's it going? (laughs) Uh, Nice to meet you. So uh, what what can you tell us about your costume here? Well, you know, I got the nice leather jacket, great gloves, good helmet that keeps me good in the atmosphere up there, you know, and uh, got the nice boots. Very nice. Can't go wrong. Let's see, got a little rocket, got the bag, got the gun. You are all kitted out. Oh, 
Oh, you got the orb. Yeah, my girl actually made it for me. So, oh, yeah, that's phenomenal. That, you know, cool. yeah. So very smooth, by the way. Having it in the bag yeah, to bust yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, right. You don't want to show it off. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I was really pumped up. This is my first time wearing everything. So yeah, it's a little hot, but hey, you know. Do you go to conventions a lot? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm from Detroit, and uh, my fiance lives here. Uh, this is actually the same weekend as the Detroit Con, but I came here instead. You know, high praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it here. Everybody's nice, so can't go wrong. You know. That right. is the stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you give us your top five favorite characters? All right, one, we're going to go, we're going to start with one, Moon Knight. Um, Moon Knight? Moon Knight, Moon Knight. Number two, I'd say Nova. Number three, Better Ray Bill. Uh, oh, I, uh, it's hard after that. I'd maybe say, uh, I like low level. Uh, Ghost Rider's nice, Franklin Richards even. I mean, just, None of those are low level. I, I, I know, but then I just went off the top of my head. We're going to put Franklin Richards at number five just because he's Franklin Richards. That is uh, an impressive list. Yeah, it's an unusual group of characters. I would, I would read that comic book. You would, yeah. All right, <laughs> hey, you know, let me know when it's coming out. You know. So none of the guardians on that list. But you went with the Star Lord costume. Does Star Lord a special case, or I just like his attitude, man. He's a nice guy. He wants to help everybody out. You know, he likes to smile. So that's really the the only uh, only thing that why I went with him. You know. So next time will we see you in a Franklin Richards costume? No, no. I'm gonna <laughs> upgrade the Star Lord, rocket boots, all that stuff. You know, really cool. gonna get a better gun, all that stuff. Because you, know? you know, rocket boots aren't usually legal in Canada. <laughs> right, right. Bringing them across the border, I don't know. It's gonna be iffy. Might have to stash them, but you know. All right, so I got to ask about Moon Knight at yes. number one. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, most people, I mean, I don't know how many people who are listening even heard of Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. We've actually had him come up a couple of times. I think so. He's... So Moon Knight, tell yep. it, what is it about Moon Knight that really speaks to you? Um, well, everybody compares him to DC's Batman, you know, and I don't like that. He's uh, really psycho. Four different uh, personalities in his mind at one time. You never know what he's going to do next. He's yeah. a vigilante and a hero at the same time, you know. So I, I just love, uh, it's all wild. None of the issues are the same, you know, and he's just his own guy. He's his own guy. I like it. He doesn't... He's he's some guys. Right. He's multiple personalities. Yes, and I love where the the new issues are going, how they twisted it, um, where he's in the psych ward and everything. It's great. It's going great. Great. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Before we go, I mean, you seem like you do this, like, you got, you're really kitted out. Do you do this off enough? Like, you keep track of it on an Instagram or a Facebook? I don't. I do not. This is, like, the first time I dressed up like this. Last year was a lower key. You know, I had the trench coat, the red trench coat, everything, but this is the first time. It will only get better. Awesome. It will only get Phenomenal. Nice. All right. Well, since there's nowhere to link people, do you mind if we get a picture? We can put it up on the page. Of people course. can see how awesome of this course. is. Of course. Of course. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Geek Top 5. We'll be right back. Thank you. So we are here with Emmanuel Chateauneuf. Uh, and we're looking at some of your art here. It is uh, it's beautiful. It's like very sort of like an old school style anime. Thank you. Yeah, 80s anime. That's what I got it from a lot of people. But it's great. What can you tell us about your work? Um, well, I am just breaking out into the industry. This is my very first book. It's called Queen Street. Um, it comes out in stores in August. So right now I'm just touring um, through cons, you know, kind of like feeling it out, seeing who's into this kind of thing. It's a slice of life comedy. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, so we, we the uh, spirit of the show is we do top five lists. Do you have like a top five list you'd oh, like to share with definitely. us? Definitely. I'm okay. ready. Okay. All right. Fantastic. 
Um, so, top five, I would definitely have to recommend, number one, Rumiko Takahashi's Ranmo One Half. You will laugh your butt off. It's amazing, and it teaches such good, amazing values to both boys and girls about what it truly means to just be a good person. Um, right after that, Inuyasha, again, Rumiko Takahashi. You can't go wrong. It's so astoundingly good, amazing. Would, I would, would you count those as influences on your, your oh, work? definitely. Most definitely. She... I grew up reading her stuff, and for a while, it was really funny. As a kid, I would go around and I'd make my parents call me Ranma because <laughs> I was so convinced I was that character. Um, no, yeah, definitely, like, her art style is a huge influence on me. She kind of... It's funny, like, it's amazing the influence writers have on you, like, the hold they have on you. Yeah. She molded my sense of humor. It's really gross, actually. I had I, I recommended Ranma to my friends was like, it's disgusting. We're just... It's like reading you. She, like this is awful I was like yeah she kind of like created me as a person because <laughs> I was just I would read her books I was lucky enough my dad was a fan when he in the 80s and, and then he gave me all the original manga he was like read this you'll like it you're weird that way uh, but then yeah so definitely uh, Inuyasha is amazing I'm a huge Dragon Ball Z fan the art the comics are astounding the art's amazing it's just, it's so good. That's really good. I would also recommend, um, I would definitely recommend mm, Vagabond. That's you guys? A, a samurai Yeah, Inoue thing. Takehiko. Some of the most stunning art I have ever seen in my life. Like, it's amazing that this comic is released. I think it's released either weekly or bi-monthly in Japan. It's just, it's amazing. Like, unreal amounts of detail. The story is so good. It's really, like, it's a good samurai emotional journey based on Musashi um, and then finally oh I feel like it's so stereotypical but I have to just anything Studio Ghibli Studio Ghibli yeah Good call. just like yeah because I, wa- I didn't want to say them but then I was like I have to I have to <laughs> um, but no yeah um, probably some of the most very rarely do you get to you know see stories that are that popular that have that kind of really genuine and rare emotional depth and that come from someone who can not only portray men very genuinely and in a very different way but then women and again a very unique and different and strong powerful way that you don't really see in mainstream comics yeah um but yeah really good stuff salt the earth gets you like right in the fields and then twists just twists but yeah so that's my top five Inuyasha Ranma Dragon Ball Z Vagabond and then uh anything Studio Ghibli but yeah Fantastic. Thank you very much. But before we go, tell us a little bit more about Queen Street. I mean, you've got a lot of the stuff on display here, but who are these characters? What are they up to? Um, well, it's semi-autobiographical, so it's based on my mom and I. Uh, but for the book, uh, the two characters, it's Amy and Melody. And the main character is Amy, and she is a woman who, you know, she, gets, she lived in the Philippines, worked really hard, was a lawyer, um, fell in love, and then moved to Canada and then had to deal with the harsh reality of, oh, wow, and now I'm a minority, you know, where I used to get this respect and had my place in life. Now, you know, I chose a different path. And so she's a serial full-time waitress. She can't hold a job because she has a really big ego and a lot of pride and uh, can only get jobs at, like, Asian restaurants because it's based in the town of Sault Ste. Marie. And it's a little bit more cultural now, but when I was a kid, I remember you could... There was maybe, like, under 50 Asians in the whole town. So we all knew each other. Uh, but yeah, no, it's really, that's it. It's about life and about living, about how even in the most you know unique of circumstances, you're alive. And that's such, 
a gift and even to suffer even to struggle it is such a profound gift to just be alive and to live through it all and through that you make these profound relationships with people whom you never you know you never would have assumed you'd come to care for and have a really good time with and that you know at the end of the day as long as you're positive and you can really try to see life for what it is as being a gift anything's an adventure absolutely anything is an adventure so yeah that's really about it (laughs) fantastic thank you very much uh, we're going to take shots and put stuff up on the page. Uh, we should link them up to you. Is there anywhere, like your Instagrams, Twitters, that kind of thing? Where can people find you yeah. if they want to learn more about this stuff? Um, well, you can check me up on Instagram. I am the Batmanny. Well, at Batmanny. So B-A-T-M-A-N-N-I. A play on my nickname. And then Twitter is also the Batmanny. Literally, if you just, if you Google the Batmanny, I am the, the first person on all the social media. <laughs> I, oh, I was so excited that I, I stole that way back. In high school, before any of this social media stuff was popular, I remember I went around to every set. I was like, no, I'm doing this now. Even if I don't use this. I have a Tumblr. I don't use it, but I'm the batman on Tumblr. <laughs> so, yeah, if you just find that with my name, Emmanuel Chateauneuf, because there, there's a couple of us, but the batman is me. So, there it is. Phenomenal. Thank you. All right, Geek Top 5, we'll be right back. So now we have with us Leonard Kirk, one of the uh, amazing Marvel exclusive illustrators who's uh, worked on a bunch of stuff, including the all-new Wolverine and X-Factor with Peter David. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, So we were wondering if you could do a top five X-Men characters with us. Ah, sure I could. Uh, I could start off with, uh, well, I'd say Magneto, although he doesn't tech, he's sort of an X-Men then not an X-Men, whatever, close enough. So I'd say Magneto, uh, Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, of course. Uh, Nightcrawler, I've always loved drawing him, especially his little smoke and everything else. And, oh, who would be the capper on that one? Um, oh, crap, what was that name of that one that I was thinking of? I just... Ah, screw it, I'll say Iceman. Iceman. Uh, so... I, you, I noticed you said Wolverine. Are we talking old school Wolverine or uh, the X twenty three Wolverine? Any Wolverine is a good Wolverine. That's, that's my <laughs> that's, motto. That's fair. <laughs> is there any pref- like one that you prefer that you drew? Um, I can't really say. I like drawing both of them. You know, I've drawn I've, or others, but I've drawn I've drawn X twenty three. I've drawn, of course, Gabby in the series. I've drawn Old Man Logan, Young Man Logan. <laughs> I've drawn bo- I've drawn Bone Claws, Metal Claws. No claws. I, <laughs> I imagine the no claws one was a little bit easier. Oh, very, very. But then again, he was going to the bathroom at the time, so. Yeah. <laughs> Safer. Safety first. That's fair. Uh, so one of the things that people often talk about with uh, with Nightcrawler is like his costume out of the X-Men characters seems to have changed the least over the years. It's a pretty iconic look. What do you think about it? It makes it so, what's its staying power? Uh, it's cool. I mean, honestly, I really can't think of anything else. I, I think one thing, one reason why that costume works so well is there's nothing that really dates it. I mean, maybe sometimes the little pointy shoulders makes it feel a little 70s-ish. But aside from that, just the color scheme is so simple. Black, uh, black, white, red. That's it. His skin blends into the color of the costume, which is nice. It's simple. I'm sure plenty of artists appreciate it. I certainly do because, you know, there's so much black. You just you draw a little bit of red, a little white, and then there's just black, and that's it. 
and it is just so simple and straightforward. I, I love it. We've got uh, behind you. You got a big poster of Captain Canuck, and that version of the costume looks like it's got a lot of detail. I'm sure it uh, gets a little hard to draw by ish, uh, uh, page 20 of, a, of an issue. Actually, by page 20, it's easier because by then I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, the uh, first few times I drew it, it was rather difficult. I didn't design the outfit, so. Uh, so did that come down from above, and you just kind of went, "Oh boy, here we go." Yes, yes. Uh, actually, the uh, uh, Kalman uh, Andrusovsky, who writes the series, he also designed the costume. And he started drawing like the first couple of issues, and then I stepped in around issue three. So this was already down on paper. And honestly, the costume's not that bad. The only thing I can't stand is that freaking backpack that he has, because it's got these weird angles to it. And it's really difficult trying to picture how it's supposed to go, because I don't, I've never seen a, a 3D image of it. So, I, it's, but but it still looks cool. So, yeah. so uh, thank you very much for, for doing this interview with us. Where can people find your stuff? Oh well, um, well with me at my table, or well, I'm on Facebook, of course, and uh, that's pretty much my only online experience right now. Uh, if they're looking for anything like it in terms of well, of course, uh, the books I have going right now, the uh, all new Wolverine series, uh, the Captain Canuck series. And uh, if you're interested in any artwork, obviously, yeah, come see me at a show. Or you can also check out uh, uh, theartistchoice.com. Uh, unfortunately, I have to update my page. It hasn't been updated in quite a while. But there's still some stuff there. So check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Geek Top 5, we'll be right back. All right, so we've found a few more cosplayers here. Can you tell us uh, who you're dressed as? Um, I'm dressed as the Lone Wanderer or... Um any of the main characters from uh, Fallout. Cool. I'm just as Cortano from Halo 4. Hi, I'm Ray. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Building up the girl power section of the yes. cosplay. Absolutely. Strong oh. female lead. <laughs> yes, exactly. There you go. So can you tell us a little bit about how the costumes came together? <laughs> I did it overnight. <laughs> it looks pretty good for an yeah. overnight. Yeah, we're taking a look at the pit boy Like, is it printed out and put together? Um, the thing is, I got, um, I went online and I was pretty much searching all week for it, um, due to easy sort of design. But then, when it got really late at night, I just said, screw it, I'm just going to do whatever I want with it. It came together really well. Yeah. Okay, so. And, and Cortana? Um, the bodysuit was 3D uh, printed by, I think it was Gunmetal Designs, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. 3D printed. 3D wow. printed. So I, I didn't make it myself, but um, very well crafted. That they took this, the design from the game and turned it into a 3D print for bodysuits. And I just put everything else together. The makeup is, is very impressive. Makeup took two and a half hours. It was my first official time testing it out, and patience is key. I'm sure. So, do you want to do, like, a uh, your top five favorite video games with us? Halo would probably be my top... Number one? Number one. Do you want to, like, rank the Halos? <laughs> well, in terms of character design for Cortana, personally, I love the Halo 4 design the most. And then second would be Halo 3. But I don't just like Halo. And, like, the second rate right up there would be Mass Effect from Bioware. Good choice. Um, Assassin's Creed. I recently got into Final Fantasy 15, which is an amazing game. And, yeah. Great. But, obviously, Halo is the one that was really obviously speaking Obviously, Halo to. is the biggest one. I am uh, a member officer for a costuming group called the 405th. 
Uh, you can find us on the 405.com. We're, we're like the 501st with, for Star Wars, but for Halo. Yeah, and we help to promote Halo costuming and get communities involved. And I'm actually waiting for a spot right now. Okay. <laughs> so you might see him in a bit, wherever he is. So how did that get started? I mean, like the 501st, I think Timothy Zahn originally wrote that in and people followed it up. Did you guys see the 501st and want to bring Halo into it, or is it the other way around? Halo, the, the 405th was created by a guy who started, um, who created his own Master Chief costume and started making videos of Master Chief going to, to Walmart or things like that. They're very popular. You can still find it online today. And But he was uh, somewhat inspired by the 501st. And right now, the staff for the website itself, uh, our president was also a member of the 501st, so we incorporated the positives from their groups to make our groups even more successful. Great. That's pretty fantastic. And then when it comes to it, you chose Cortana over a Spartan. You're not thinking more like a, like a Noble 2? Well, my biggest uh, decision why I chose Cortana was it was easier to pack in a suitcase for traveling outside a country. <laughs> That's probably fair. Uh, mainly those those uh, check baggage fees were the big thing for me. So especially coming from Canada, I had to keep that in mind when creating a costume. But some people do it, and kudos to them for making a way. But it's it's all about what fits you, uh, what you're interested in. So do you have big meetups? We try to at conventions. We try to. It's like a, a really a comic con right now. Um, my friend that I'm waiting for, he's a Spartan, and he is from Aurelia. That's how we found out about it. He sent me a message and said, "Hey, can you help promote this across social media platforms for, so other four or five members can know about it?" And hence why I'm here. Great. Oh, okay, fair sure. enough. All right. So we'll it certainly we'll create a link to the 405.com. Um, personally, is there anything you do? Like, is there Instagram, Facebook, people that people can find? What else you're doing? Um, right now, I do Instagram. I'm trying to get a Facebook page up, but people can follow me on Instagram. And occasionally, I'll come across uh, making videos of conventions on YouTube as well. Fair enough. Okay, thank you very much. Thank and you. I know we sort of jumped on you. I think we startled you. Um, you mentioned you pulled over the Fallout costume overnight, but it looks great. We love the people, love the whole thing. Is this also something? Is this something else that you're doing a lot? Uh, I love Halloween costumes, and I try to. I always like go overboard on Halloween costumes, but I don't really do it regularly. But uh, yeah. All right, fair enough. Okay, thank you both for your time. Thank Have you. a great con. Geek Top Five. We'll be right back. So now we're with uh, Ty Templeton, amazing creator who's worked on uh, a lot of Batman stuff and many other comics over the years and has recently been announced as the writer and inker of a new Archie series. Welcome to the show, Ty. Welcome to the show, me. Yes. So uh, first off, writer and inker, that's an interesting pairing for a title. You don't see that too much. Uh, you don't see it too much, but Carl Kiesel used to do it, if you remember. He used to be the writer inker on uh, Superboy and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I don't know why that's the pair of things they asked me to do, but that's what they asked me to do. I think part of it is because they wanted someone there who was a, a, an old hand at Archie who'd been around for a while. And uh, Dan Parent and I were friends, and Dan Parent is a, is a you know very classic and legendary Archie artist. So I think they wanted a hand on the tiller that wasn't us, us youngins, all of us youngins. <laughs> Except the funny thing is I'm actually, I'm actually older than Dan Parent, but... Um, but I'm new to Archie because I haven't really done a lot of stuff for Archie over the years. Right. Uh, I did like two covers in my life up until this point, and now it's I'm doing it. So what's the what's the elevator pitch for your for the new series? 
Um, uh, when they ruined the taste of Coca-Cola, when they created New Taste Coke, um, uh, after a couple of months, the public just went crazy and they went, we need Old Taste Coke back, and they called it Coke Classic. That's the elevator pitch. This is Archie Classic. Okay. This is, uh, and I'm not saying they've ruined the taste of Archie <laughs> by having the Predator eat Mr. Weatherby, but Archie has done a lot of really uh, um, uh, edgy stuff for the last couple of years, especially the new Riverdale show on TV. And uh, they were having so much fun making Archie kind of weird and odd and Archie versus Predator and Afterlife with Archie and Archie becomes a zombie and Archie by shark. And did you read that one, the Archie versus Sharknado? that one. <laughs> Archie versus Sharknado is magical. It really is. Um, uh, and Archie meets the Ramones and all that kind of stuff. So they, they wanted to have an Archie that was a, a, a version of Archie that we all go, wait, that, okay, that's Archie. So that's what we're doing. It, it's I, I refer to it as classic Coke Archie. Um, it's it, it, I don't want to say it's like a return to vanilla, but it's a return to really scrumptious good vanilla. <laughs> so um, we were wondering if we could get your top five favorite Archie characters. Um, sure. Uh, as I was saying before, the the editor gave me the direction that he wants the uh, the main five, the Riverdale five, to be Archie, Betty, Veronica, Reggie, Jughead and that we see them as much as we can, because those are the arts characters everybody knows. And I, I am very fond of all five of those characters. They're all five fabulous characters to write. Um, by far, my favorite is Jughead. By far. Uh, not only because I think I relate to Jughead, but because as I'm writing the characters, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing classical, but I, I've kind of recast Archie and Jughead as a modern-day Abbott and Costello, as uh, a version of, of a comedy team that has a rhythm to it, that, you know, what you doing there? I'm doing this. And uh, so it's not just that, you know, Jughead is sleepy and eats a lot of burgers and that kind of stuff. I've actually tried to create a, a rhythmical conversational patois between them. And it's really fun to write Archie Jughead scenes because it's it's a lot of that, what are you doing? I'm doing this. You're doing that? No, I'm doing this, you moron. What you said you were doing that? Like that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, uh, and on paper, it's fun to write that kind of rhythm. Uh, my second favorite character to write by far is Reggie because he's a little shit and there's nothing more wonderful than the little shit just doing awful things. And uh, I'm right now in the middle of a script where Reggie is just awful to everybody and by the time it's over just everybody's covered in paint and, and have fallen downstairs and there should be in theory broken bones here but we're all enjoying it because it's just slapstick stuff. It's actually an ongoing Reggie is fun to write. Um, uh, obviously, it's really fun to write Archie. How do you not want to write Archie because he's, he's the star of the character? Uh, Betty and Veronica, I'm going to treat as a pa- uh, the pair as a single character because mostly what's fun to write about Betty and Veronica is them together doing stuff with each other. I love the idea that they are characters who are in theory supposed to be competing for the same boy, but they actually get along really well and they're best friends, and that dynamic is bizarre and fun to write, so it's really fun to write it. Uh, so at that point, I gave myself a spare. So, because uh, I tricked you with the only five there. Uh, uh, and then I'm going to make for a tie for the other two to write. Um, I've written a couple of stuff, uh, scenes with Dilton in it already. I like Dilton. He's great fun. Uh, mostly because he's the... Uh, uh, the chaos agent that can just introduce a time machine or a or a monster plant or whatever you want into it, and so uh, without giving away too much, chimpanzee brain transference is on the table. Oh, when, when, <laughs> that's exciting! When Dilton is on stage, 
chimpanzee brain transference is always on the table. You won't see that on the TV show. No, you well, you might. <laughs> I've, I've come up with a plausible scientific chimpanzee brain transference story. Ah, as, as opposed to all the amateur no, chimpanzee no, 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 brain no, no. transference. It's not just throwing a switch and there's like a lot of electricity in the building. There's, I use big words. I use, okay. <laughs> I, I use words like gene splicing. I do, I do you know, it's real science. Uh, I also like writing Kevin Keller uh, because, well, he's a little hard to get a handle on at the moment, but I like writing Kevin Keller about the fact that he is the most progressive gay character in comics and nobody notices it. And the reason for that is, is because we don't keep talking about the fact that he's gay. He's just on camera and he's part of the gang and he goes to the chocolate shop and he's with everybody. And considering the idea that Archie sells primarily, especially this kind of classic Archie sells primarily to a younger audience, the idea that we're hammering home that your neighborhood has gay people and it just live with it and stop worrying about it is one of the most progressive lessons that you can teach people. Because so many times when you have characters who are not necessarily uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant characters on stage, the, the, the editorial direction is pay a lot of attention to that. Talk about the fact that the character is Latino or talk about the fact that the character is whatever. And uh, Kevin is just part of the gang. He's on the football team, he's at the chocolate shop, and I love that about Archie. And it actually was one of the few uh, uh, letters I've written to publishers. I wrote a gushing love letter to the publisher when Kevin became a member of the Riverdale gang, but it didn't get printed anywhere. <laughs> but I did actually write him a nice letter. Phenomenal. All right. All right, thank you very much. I think we got a line coming behind us, so we okay. should make room for your other Adoran fans. Thank you. And then all the other people who live in Riverdale, I love them too. <laughs> Fair enough. I just, because I, I, they're, they're my babies now. I write about them. I don't want anybody, like, I don't want Moose to feel I don't love Moose. I love Moose. Moose I'm is sure funny. Moose knows that. Huh? I'm sure Moose knows that you love Moose them. would forget after you tell him. Moose, Moose, is, <laughs> Moose is Trump without the power. <laughs> thank you very much, Thanks Mr. Templeton. Geek Top 5. We'll be right back. Aurelia Comic-Con. That was a blast. Yeah. It, uh, so the first inaugural one, I mean, obviously, like, from what we saw, the place was packed, so I'm sure they're going to do it again. They'll probably move to a bigger venue, because I think they were getting, like, the fire marshal to check it out when we were <laughs> on our way out. Uh, but it was super cool. Um, all those links, the Instagrams, the how to get a hold of the, some of these cool artists and some of these cool authors, uh, we're going to post that all up on the site. You can find them there if you need. Uh, but definitely be sure to check some of that stuff out, because it was fantastic. Speaking of our site, you can find it at www.geektop5.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And uh, you can also email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. If uh, you want to leave a review, you can do that on iTunes. And please let us know what you think. Let us know if there's anything you want to hear about. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends. Let them know that this is uh, a show that's available every other week. And and, uh, we're, we're happy to continue providing our... Uh, you know, content. <laughs> and maybe we'll see you at our next con. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening, and special thanks to all our guests who we talked to at the con. Special thanks to our crew, Ben Sound, bensound.com for a theme song, and Stella Simeonova for our website and online business. Until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. It's Geek Top 5. Thanks for listening. <laughs>